Welcome to Elixir Mix, your Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson, and today we're joined by Sophie De Benedetto. Hey, guys. And our guest, Alvisa Susmel. Hello. Thanks for having me. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. I'm glad you could come on. So this is an exciting topic for me because it's something I find fascinating. I think whenever I hear about this, I think, wow, that's super advanced and futuristic and I have no idea how to do it myself. And so we've invited Alvisa on to help talk about how to do this. And, and so like what we're talking about is using like image recognition with Elixir and really cool stuff like that. So uh, first of all, Alvisa, maybe you could tell us like where you work, and a little bit about yourself, what kind of problems you're solving. Yeah, sure. Uh, so in the last uh, five, six years, I've been a CTO in a London hedge fund, and I'm still working from them as a consultant. And uh, at the moment, I'm consulting and running poeticoding.com, which is an educational site, which is, uh, at the moment, is mainly focused on Elixir and Phoenix. Uh, and I'm working to make some free and paid Elixir Phoenix courses. And uh, my current clients are from finance. So uh, the problems I'm facing are similar to what I've faced so far at the Edge Fund. And so to describe what kind of problems I had to face, uh, we at the Hedge Fund, we've designed uh, three different architectures to uh, mainly process data in real time. So the first was to process data uh, for real-time trades coming from different exchanges for hundreds of different products. So products are financial products, asset, different assets. And the goal of this platform uh, is to use the data to run our trading models. And in this case, we had uh, we have a lot of Python code uh, because all the data science framework, there are really great data, data science framework uh, there. And another uh, platform was to, uh, is to process uh, financial tweets in real time. So we get a huge amount of tweets in real time. We run our machine learning models to cluster these tweets to understand which company they, they refer to. And, and then uh, the system generates a minute-by-minute -minute sentiment for each company, which is useful in different trading situations. Uh, and uh, we have also another platform, which is uh, an internal platform for uh, research. It's like um, a set of research tools uh, we use to exchange information information about uh, research. So what they have in common is uh, the need to process real-time, let's say, events and to, especially to self-heal uh, because we need, um, we need to stay up. Uh, obviously, it's not 100%, but we need to stay, to be reactive to any kind of anomaly and uh, to process uh, uh, trades uh, as, far, as fast as we can. 
Nice. So you mentioned in there like the need to leverage other uh, libraries or languages outside of uh, you know, Core Elixir. And it seems like in today's development environment, that seems to be increasingly the case because you have, like you'd mentioned, data scientists who are using their own set of tools and they already have these libraries that are being built up by a whole community of people. And a lot of those tend to be in Python. And historically, just uh, as web developers, I think we, you know, you're, you're accustomed to having to work with multiple languages because you have a front end, which might be written in JavaScript and a back end, which is written in something else. Uh, some people do approach, you know, take Node as a, a back end, but you know, we, we have Elixir or you've done Ruby on Rails or Java or something else. And then you have mobile on the front end, you know, you're dealing with, uh, you know, mobile frameworks and mobile languages and different platforms. So it's like, we are kind of in this area, this environment where we have to deal with multiple types of tools, multiple communities. Uh, and so one of the things I think is interesting is this whole idea about how Python has a lot of these libraries for doing uh, like image recognition, uh, for doing, you know, like where, you know, be it Python or not, but I'm, I might be using GPUs to do accelerated computing. And uh, so what I loved about your article is that you're, you're totally acknowledging that, right? That there is stuff that we need to use that's not an elixir. So we want to basically try to leverage the benefits of each, the strengths of each language and each platform to do what they're best at. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about this uh, blog post that you wrote and kind of give us an introduction to this topic of what you're trying to do. Yes, sure. Uh, the, um, so the blog post uh, is about um, uh, real-time object detection uh, and the idea of uh, using real-time object detection in Phoenix. Uh, well, in Elixir and then using Phoenix to render the result. Um, so obviously, uh, the idea of the of the blog post is not to reinvent the wheel; is actually to use something uh, uh, that is already there. So, uh, as I said, there are great uh, frameworks in Python, and uh, is there are also high-level uh, libraries like a CVlib, uh, which um, uh, uses OpenCV uh, under the hood. And uh, it's super easy to use, and uh, you can just pass an image uh, to this uh, to a function, and uh, this function returns a, a list of detected objects and uh, and the coordinates of these objects. So in the in the article, I actually uh, uh, go through. Uh, the idea of interfacing uh, and trying to take advantage of this library uh, inside Elixir. And um, I went through uh, different ways of, of um, communicating with, uh, uh, with Python. Well, the simplest one is to just launch, uh, just run uh, the, the Python process. Uh, the problem of this is that um, to um, for example, uh, in this specific case, we have uh, um, a neural network, which is a deep neural network, uh, well, actually a convolutional neural network. And to load this uh, model, uh, it takes around two, three seconds on a MacBook Pro. And obviously, we can't run this, uh, this uh, script for each single frame or each single image we want. 
And uh, so we need a long running process. That means we, uh, we keep the, the model in memory and, um, and uh, we keep the Python process in memory and we control it via something is called a port. So a port in, a, in Elixir and in Erlang, it's a mechanism to launch uh, um, an operating system process which is external to the BIM. Uh, and this brings a lot of advantages. Um, well, first, uh, if the process crashes, it doesn't bring down the BIM. Uh, so it's something external, and uh, we can communicate with this process via message passing and the standard I.O. Uh, and what I do uh, through the article is to, um, is to use ports to build a to build uh, this communication uh, to uh, with uh, with this uh, Python framework and be able to uh, link the camera from uh, uh, from the web browser, uh, take the frames from the web browser, send uh, this frame across uh, a web socket to a Phoenix channel, and then Elixir sends uh, these frames to. Uh, the Python side detected, which actually runs the the real detection, and um, and yeah, uh, the the thing is, it's so easy to use this uh, approach to bring and to use uh, to take advantage of machine learning. And since Python is so uh, so far on the machine learning side, actually, one of the reasons Python has a huge uh, adoption rate is because all these frameworks uh, in the last 10 years, the adoption rate increased a lot, but because these frameworks, uh, not because the, the language itself. And uh, yeah, to me, uh, to me, uh, I think Elixir would be great. I actually would prefer to control uh, a machine learning library with Elixir rather than Python with pipes and struct and like uh, generate a struct with it, which is like a, a job I want to run, a machine learning job I want to run and then, um, and then send this job to, to a Python, to a Python uh, process uh, with, with the port or with other uh, solutions. Uh, like uh, uh, there are other ways um, like um, uh, uh, EPMD. Uh, so, the, uh, is, um, so there is a library called, uh, if I remember correctly, Pyrlang. Uh, and uh, the, it's possible to, uh, to create a Python node. Uh, just to say there are other ways we can interface uh, with, a, with a Python process. So one of the ways, uh, if I can just kind of clarify the way I understand ports to work. Yeah. Uh, I have used ports before and uh, in, in my case I was talking to, we needed some, you know, we're migrating a Ruby on Rails monolith to Elixir and so there's some things that Ruby still did best because of libraries or whatever. You know, I don't want to re-implement an entire library just so I can have this little piece of functionality. So as ports, as I understand it, like what I'm able to do is I can uh, start up the process, the OS level process that is running Ruby in my case or Python in your case. And so you're like you were describing, you have like this two to three second load time just to load everything that it needs for, the, uh, for doing the memory 
yeah, for doing its processing. And so once that load is done, then it's just basically, it's uh, messaging through like, I think it's even just standard out, kind of just directly kind of talking uh, through the OS to the other process, not even through like an HTTP kind of, you know, port, like uh, you know, web ports or anything like that. It's not a web server. It's just talking directly to it. So that has a, a cost, I guess, in terms of serialization about how do I actually communicate and how do I serialize my data to send it across to this other process. But, but that's one of the benefits is uh, it's, it can now be supervised by the beam, right? So if something goes wrong in my library and it crashes, Elixir can respond to that, right? Have you, is that something you've uh, been able to see as well? Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is exactly one of the advantages. Um, and uh, uh, with port, if, especially if we wrap uh, a port, uh, if we wrap a gen server around the port, uh, it becomes super easy to, uh, to supervise it. So yes, in the article, I, what I do is to uh, wrap this port uh, with a with a gen server, uh, and it's possible to run like to start uh, monitoring this port. So when the process crashes, we just receive a message to the owner process, uh, which is an exit message. Um, and uh, so in this case, we can deal inside the gen server, uh, and we can just like rerun the a port without. Uh, letting the supervisor do that um, we, without uh, having to delegate this to the supervisor, or we can just decide to not handle the exit process, the exit message, and what happens is that the the, the gen server process just crashes, and if it's supervised, uh, it's uh, restarted again. Another uh, another advantage is. Um, is that of this wrapping, uh, wrapping uh, a port with the gen server is that we can only the owner, uh, so uh, only the process that starts the port can communicate with the port, so can send a message which is propagated via, via uh, standard input to the to the Python process, and the same as receiving messages from the Python process. So only the owner can do this messaging. Um, so if we want to use a port uh, and sh let's call it, it's not shared, but uh, if we want to use this port and send messages to this port from many processes, we need a gen server that is the owner and takes the ownership of this port. So I think most of the cases is better to use a gen server. I mean, especially in this case. Um, and also another advantage is that if like in this case, if we want to scale, if we want to scale horizontally, uh, if a port is embedded, is uh, handled uh, in uh, via gen server, uh, is easy to uh, spawn a pool of uh, distributed uh, uh, gen server uh, workers. Um, yeah. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. 
Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. The call for proposals is open until March 31st. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. jsremoteconf.com. Yeah, I just want to point out how kind of incredible that is and how Elixir's flexibility around like interop, in this case with Python, is so powerful because what you're doing is you're leveraging like the concurrency and the ability to manage processes that Elixir gives us and still getting like that powerful bit of Python functionality that is best suited to do that image detection. Um, and that's why I kind of think it's fun to say like, oh, Elixir is kind of good at everything because in a way it is, because it's good at using the things that are better at the thing it can't do. Um, and that's really awesome. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic glue in these cases is, well, first uh, is I think that the language itself is, is great. So most of the time I prefer to handle these kind of things and to glue things with Elixir. Um, and at the beginning, I thought that this part mechanism could have huge limits. I at the beginning, I thought, okay, if I send, because the experiment I did, uh, well, uh, one of the experiments I did is to, uh, was to um, send row frames like uh, at 30 frames per second. So each frame is around three megabytes. So I was sending uh, around uh, 100 megabytes per second. And uh, I thought, okay, maybe, Maybe I could have huge delays because there is messaging, there is uh, I.O. But actually, each single message was, was sent. Uh, the time, uh, the round trip time I uh, measured is like half millisecond for each single frame, which is, I mean, nothing, especially if we want to run um, um, a real-time object detection at uh, 30 frames per second. I mean, uh, it, I was really impressed by how fast uh, is this mechanism and uh, yeah, how easy it is to take this approach and scale horizontally, uh, especially when, I, when, when the port is embedded in engine server uh, then we can use all the advantages of Elixir, all the libraries like um, like uh, Poolboy or uh, other libraries and uh, supervision. And it's, I mean, almost we get everything for free. Yeah, I love how Sophie kind of described that too, because uh, I do think that is a strength of Elixir and, and the Beam in particular. Uh, it's just to say that it is a great uh, interoperability messaging kind of platform so that it's like it is the way I can manage to say these are the things I want done and then I can push that out through you know in a distributed way out to the workers who this one might be rust and it's doing something and this one might be Python and it's doing something and then bring all those back and be able to aggregate and report and and, and do everything like that so I and it really kind of comes back to it's like wow you know it's kind of like this telephone communication kind of system. And it's like, you know, it's like, wow, who'd have thunk? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of fun. But uh, what I love is like, in my case, um, except for like a couple examples, like I gave with like Ruby, where I was needing to go to something because of a, uh, an, a library as a gem that I needed to support for. Otherwise, it's like, I don't, 
I don't have any personal needs where I need to go out to those other things. I don't have performance requirements where I say I need to go to Rust. I don't, I'm not doing anything with uh, right now with uh, machine learning. We'd like to at some point in the future. Uh, but you know, at some point, that's where I will go and I will be interoperability kind of talking with Python. So I love that I can do it, but I don't have to do it yet. Uh, Elixir still does everything I need to right where I am right now. So yeah, I think it's, it's cool. also, um, it's also kind of like a, a useful case to make or argument to have in your back pocket when you're dealing with adoption. You know, if you're trying to convince your team or, or colleagues to use Elixir for a particular project and, you know, people are looking down the line and they're thinking, well, what about when we need something that Python is better suited for? Or what about when we need to solve this problem that, you know, typically folks may reach for Rust for? Um, you can kind of trot this out and say like, we can use Elixir now so that we can move fast, so that we can leverage like a nice design so that we can take advantage of all the fantastic Elixir things around concurrency and fault tolerance. And when we need something else, we need a tool that's better suited for it. We haven't backed ourselves into a corner. We're not in a place where we need to, you know, spin up a separate service in another language and framework and then figure out what this communication mechanism would look like. Um, like I think one of the things that you uh, mention in your article, Alvi says that, you know, you could have reached for HTTP communication, you know, built some API endpoints where you're going to communicate between your Elixir Phoenix app and, you know, this, this Python application, but we don't have to, we don't need that overhead. We don't need that complexity. Uh, ports are one way among some others that Elixir just makes it super, super easy to enact that kind of communication. Yes, compared to, for example, HTTP, which is obviously the first, I mean, the first uh, thing that came to my mind when I wanted to do something like this. And uh, the problem is supervision. Uh, and especially on embedded devices. I mean, if I want to run this thing, a real, a real time object detection system that is that does something uh, if it finds some objects uh, in, uh, in the pictures, in the frames coming from the camera, uh, uh, I have, and if I run, for example, a Python worker that has Flask, uh, like an HTTP uh, server, I mean, usually most of the time, especially on an embedded device, I want to supervise this process or this worker. And if I'm able uh, to supervise it uh, via Elixir, I'm much happier, especially because this means I don't have to, uh, well, I know what what what's happening in inside elixir so inside elixir i know if uh, my workers are fine or not and i don't have to install some other services like uh well i don't know kubernetes maybe not in an embedded device but um it's something that i could uh, run on a on a in different in a different case if i want to uh scale easily and uh, supervise different services um so this uh, uh, parts makes um this much easier and another solution as mark said uh we we Another solution to uh, communicate, uh, for example, like with, with Rust, uh, would be uh, NIFs. So I went through also that path. And um, so YOLO, which is, uh, it's an acronym for uh, you only look once, which is the algorithm behind uh, the object, uh, real-time object detection. This is state-of-the-art uh, object detection system, which is with a, a real, a really uh, a simple 
with a NVIDIA GPU with, um, it's not cheap, but uh, around a $500 GPU, uh, you can detect uh, objects at 30 frames per second. Uh, and the thing is, uh, the, um, the creator of this uh, algorithm, uh, they, uh, he did uh, the C version, C and CUDA version. So they said, okay, maybe I could do a NIF. So first, uh, it's so far easier to uh, do to use a port with a Python high-level library than create a NIF in C and uh, trying to interface with to 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 bind to create a binding to this library. Um, and uh, this, the but the main thing, uh, what happened is that. Um, the first time I compiled, there was an error in the my C um, NIF, and obviously uh, it crashed. The problem is that uh, everything crashed. The beam crashed, and uh, so yeah, there are ways to deal with it. Well, first is use Rust. The thing is, uh, <laughs> I didn't find anything. I mean, there were some libraries, some bindings with OpenCV, uh, with Rust, but the things went quite complicated quite easily. So I said, okay, uh, ports is far better to me. I mean, I'm not, I, I, I tried many things, but uh, if, I, uh, if I would go back, uh, I would just uh, use ports in this case. In this case, because the detection time is still around 20 milliseconds, which is reasonable, reasonable time um, to wait uh, to delegate uh, a job to a Python uh, process. Obviously, if I just want to do a sum from for two floats, a part doesn't uh, isn't 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 the best way because just this messaging uh, this it it costs the time. Um, but and in that case, maybe it's better to to use a to use a NIF. Uh, but um, for things that are longer that than few milliseconds, uh, ports is easier and uh, safer uh, and uh, safer than CMN. Uh, and um, um, yeah, so and uh, and and also is we were able to just use uh, a high level library rather than something uh, uh, with a lower level. I think it's funny the the library called YOLO. Um, you know, I I, I I thought it was like you only live once, but I, I, I can't that can't be it. So that's really cool. It's like you only look once. Uh, but what I love about your article, and I just want to encourage you, dear listener, to check out the article because if you if, if this is an interesting topic to you at all, doing image detection, and you're just kind of like like me, like I'm a noob at this. Uh, this is an awesome article because. Alvisa has put a ton of effort into this. It is detailed. It has, you know, what I, one of the things I just love watching in this is the real-time-ish kind of updates of as it's classifying, you know, video. And it's like he holds up a remote, you know, water bottle. And it's like, oh, and it's drawing boxes around things. And as he gets up and walks around and how it's following, a, you know, classifying a person. It's like, it's really cool. So I was curious as to what kind of, You've mentioned like the, the idea of doing something embedded. Is this a personal project, something you're kind of playing with and exploring? Like what kind of is driving this? 
Yes, so there are uh, two goals. Uh, yes, it's a personal project, but it's driven uh, from uh, uh, actually uh, business needs. So uh, I worked uh, with Python in most of the time in the last uh, five, six years. Uh, Python and, well, in the last three years, uh, Elixir. Uh, and I always needed to... Uh, to deal with this fight. Well, at the beginning, I thought it was a fight. Oh, but there is this on Python. I would like to have it in Elixir. I really don't like this. Uh, to It's not that I don't like Python, but I prefer to write Elixir. Uh, so I started actually to find ways to uh, bring different kind of problems, uh, more on um, like uh, historical, uh, uh, so uh, list of uh, historical prices, uh, uh, volumes of trades. Uh, so uh, what I wanted to find is that like a, a generic, uh, ge generic way to deal with this kind of um, interactions between Elixir and uh, and um, and Python. So the best way was to find a hard problem, I mean, hard in, in the sense of processing something like, I mean, uh, this model is one of the uh, toughest on the processing side. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, so this uh, YOLO needs to be, to run YOLO at a 30 frame per second, we need to be uh, fast, not only on the processing side of YOLO, I mean, that obviously, especially if we take this function of the high-level library, there, is, there isn't anything we can do. Uh, but what we can do is to work on the boundaries. Um, so I said, okay, this is a great problem also to find a, like a generic way to handle uh, this uh, interface, interaction with Python, also to deal with other things I had in mind, uh, like uh, classification uh, of uh, um, a series of uh, uh, um, prices. So this is actually what driven. It's a mix of uh, personal and business. Uh, and then I got hooked by the, the problem itself. And I started to say, okay, oh, but there is this uh, Jetson Nano, which is an NVIDIA device, embedded device. It's a $99 uh, and is uh, an embedded device, uh, which uh, is powered by, um, uh, the, the power supply is if I remember correctly, 10 watts. And um, the cool thing is that it has a, an, an NVIDIA GPU, so we can run a TensorFlow GPU or the CUDA version of the, um, of the YOLO, uh, of, uh, the YOLO uh, convolutional neural network, uh, which r this means it, it runs much, much um, faster than on a CPU. Uh, so I said, okay, that's great. So now that I have uh, a gen server and that I, that runs this detection uh, along with the Python process, uh, what if uh, I buy few of these devices, embedded devices, and I link them uh, via uh, Elixir, uh, distributed Elixir, distributed Erlang. So this means each single device uh, runs um, a, a worker. So each single device is a node which runs a worker. And uh, 
so one of these is a master that has a camera and actually use, uh, uses the other devices to spread the load uh, of this classification um, and of this detection um, across different, all, all the devices. And uh, this is what I did. I, actually, I bought two devices because I, don't, I didn't want to spend too, <laughs> too many dollars on this. But uh, what I saw, uh, actually, I linked also uh, my computer to the, to the, to the cluster and uh, it, uh, it um, scaled uh, horizontally uh, super easily. I just needed to do uh, something like a management module, which... Uh, uh, which does uh, something like a round robin, so uh, it knows which node is uh, which node and the worker is busy and which one is free. So as soon as it receives uh, the, it's like a broker. Uh, so it receives uh, the frame, uh, knows uh, where to where to send it, uh, and it was super easy. The thing is with Elixir it was super easy, and I said, okay, if I, let's see if I want to do it in Python. Uh, it's not, it's absolutely not that easy. Um, it's not, there are so many free things in, in Elixir when it comes to scaling, uh, horizontally, uh, in a distributed manner that, uh, it's, uh, it's amazing. That's cool. So yeah, you have a link to this and I've included a link to in the show notes oh. to this NVIDIA Jetson Nano device, which is looks like it retails for about $100 US, which, which I think is super cool that you can do like CUDA cores on this little super embedded thing and have a little cluster of them and have workers and farm out, uh, you know, work, which is like, you think of like, okay, well, if I was going to actually do this, you know, that is the kind of uh, device uh, that I could sell and have like in the office area that is processing the sensor data and and the, the images that are being captured and doing all of my processing. So uh, very cool. I had not seen anything like that. Um, didn't know that was available. Uh, you know, it's like Raspberry Pi is the, the thing that everyone kind of talks about because it is the most approachable place to start. But yeah, when you're talking about machine learning, you're wanting to go like CUDA cores and, and using the libraries that are already there. So very cool. One of my favorite communities in programming these days is the Angular community. Every time I go to an Angular conference or meet up with some of my friends who are in the Angular community, I have a great time. And a lot of them have wound up on Adventures in Angular. So if you're doing front-end development, you're looking for a way to keep current on the Angular ecosystem, and you want to have a good time listening to fun people talk about great topics related to Angular, then go check out Adventures in Angular at adventuresinangular.com. Well, we are coming about, about up to our time. Is there anything else you want to mention before we transition? Not on my side. <laughs> One other thing we yeah. haven't touched on is just that you had mentioned in your articles and just the idea of like also using scenic. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. So <laughs> maybe you could talk a about that for a moment. Yes. Uh, uh, the uh, the first uh, thing I I, um, I I tried is to use a, a phoenix uh, to. Uh, uh, to render, especially to render the results. So, uh, because I needed to uh, get frames uh, as as easy as I could uh, from uh, from the camera, so I said, okay, uh, let's try with Phoenix, especially because I can use it also to render as uh, the, the frames and the result with SVG. Obviously, this is not the best way. Is the easiest way? It was the easiest way. It's not the best way. Um, because there is this, uh, because 
frames are uh, frames are sent around uh, from Phoenix uh, from the browser, uh, and the browser sends the uh, the frames uh, to uh, as uh, base sixty four encoded. Uh, we have to decode them, send to the Python worker. So it's, so what I did is to say, okay. I, I saw that the throughput I could get uh, with parts is great. And um, so I could actually use Python and OpenCV to get the frames. So to get the frames directly from the camera, especially this is great if we use it uh, with um, uh, on embedded device. Uh, and what I do, well, the first advantage is that um, OpenCV uh, works well uh, to get the frame. We have the frame in memory, uh, and the representation is a NumPy uh, matrix. Uh, NumPy is a is a is a library in in Python uh, to uh, deal with matrices. And uh, the cool thing is that we don't need. We have this image in memory. We don't need. It's a row. Uh, representation of the image, and so we don't need to send send the image uh, to other processes. We just need to classify, run the classified, the, the YOLO uh, object detection. And uh, what I, uh, so at the beginning I said, okay, maybe there will, there will be delays and um, compared to the, compared to the OpenCV renderer. Uh, but actually, what I saw is that uh, with Scenic, uh, which is a framework uh, to uh, create applications, uh, um, uh, desktop ap applications in, uh, in in Elixir, uh, with Phoenix, uh, uh, sorry, with Scenic, I was able to uh, receive uh, the the frames uh, from uh, uh, from from the Python process from OpenCV uh, row uh, as a binary, and I was able to take this binary without without doing any manipulation, any editing, any, uh, and using Scenic to render this frame directly into, into the window without any processing of the binary, which is, was great. Uh, so yeah, I think this could work. It's still something I have to try. Um, I think this uh, could work well in a better device uh, where we are running this, uh, uh, object detection system, and we actually want to see the result on another device. So we have our embedded device with the camera, it runs a Scenic, and the cool thing with Scenic, we are able to see remotely the result, the, the window. Um, so it's something I still have to try, uh, but I think it should work well. Nice, that is very cool. I love the idea that you can just, like Scenic can just you know display raw data coming in, don't have to process it and convert it in any way and just kind of like be able to render it. So that is very cool. So awesome stuff that people can take advantage of and check out and look at. So if people are wanting to kind of get in touch with you and follow more about this topic, where should they go to do that? So uh, the site where I, uh, where I write my blog post is uh, poeticoding.com. Uh, and I write articles uh, mainly about uh, Elixir and Phoenix. Awesome. So we will also have links to that in the show notes. Check that out. And also where you are on Twitter, which yes. is your name. Well, let's go ahead and transition to picks. Sophie, do you have one you can share? 
Yeah, I do. Uh, so I recently started going through this book called, hold on, let me see if I can find it in our picks section, uh, Black Hat Go. So I'm pretty new to Go, but I'm starting to use it uh, at work and just kind of plugging through and, and learning what I need to learn to kind of get stuff done in my actual job. So this has just been like a really fun read to go a little bit further and just sort of explore uh, some of the things that Go can do and some of the things that uh, we can learn about, you know, the internet and how it works using using this language and using these frameworks. Um, I'm not super far into it yet. I'm only on chapter two, but for somebody that, again, is relatively new to Go, it's super approachable. It's been really cool. It's, um, you know, it's very security oriented. You're kind of learning, you know, you're not really learning how to be a black hat hacker. That's not like a book that you're going to buy on Amazon. You know, you're learning... Uh, to improve your offensive security skill set, which is always an area that I wanted to dive a little bit more into. So, uh, so far it's been super fun and I'm definitely recommending it. My other pick is not programming related. It is a Netflix reality show that is taking over the internet. You may have heard of Love is Blind, anyone? I'm gonna try to keep this short because I am obsessed with it. Um, the premise of Love is Blind is that these people are dating each other in these pod-like rooms where you cannot see the other person there's like a frosted glass pane uh, in between them. And the idea is that they want to get married. So as many proposals that come out of this dating situation, they're then allowed to meet. They're sent on like a vacation. They meet each other's families. They move in together. And then they see if they're going to actually get married. Their goal is to get married. And I started watching it because it sounds totally nuts and really fun, which it is. But it's also a really fascinating just like study of human behavior. Um I can't say enough good things about it. It's totally wild. And I really recommend it to basically anyone. Please watch Love is Blind. You won't regret it. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, and it's hosted by uh, Nick Lachey of 98 Degrees, I should add, which is very important. <laughs> very cool. That is, I've not heard about that one. All right. So yeah. the, my pick is, uh, it's a, it is a command line uh, little tool that was created it's, uh, to make it look like you're doing some really cool stuff on your computer. Right, it's it's just for show. Uh, it's actually called Hollywood, uh, but it is it's actually been made appearances in television shows and movies and things. So, like, if you want to look like super elite, you know, you're gonna have like your image detection going on on one screen with like as things are moving around, they're being classified, and on the other screen, you've got Hollywood going. And so, you can check out the the website. Uh, it's it's really cool because it you can actually run out of Docker and stuff like that. So you don't actually have to install anything. And, uh, but uh, what it does is it um, opens up multiple Tmux panels with, then it has lots of techno nonsense stuff going on, plus some real stuff like speed tests, directory tree listing, device listing, you know, off of your actual computer, uh, you know, generating PGP keys, uh, you know, all this stuff, it's all console based. Uh, it's just really fun. Just, just fun to, it, I don't know, it, I think it's a cool little toy. But uh, that's it for me. Alvisa, how about you? So, uh, the, uh, I want to mention uh, an article uh, from uh, Sasha Yurik, and, uh, the, uh, which is uh, Outside Elixir, which is an article that helped me a lot to see, uh, to, to use uh, ports. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's a really great read. 
And the the second thing is is a book. Um, and actually, this book uh, is uh, is something I was reading. It's a fantastic book, one of the best books I read in the last two years. The name is uh, Designing Data Intensive Applications, and um, from uh, uh, the writer, the author is uh, Martin Klapman. Uh, it's a quite big book and uh, it goes from uh, um, the how database uh, databases are written how they store uh, data in files uh, pages uh, how to use logs and the reason why uh, this is in, uh, has been an important book to me is because uh, I started a Blog, my blog actually trying to implement something, uh, a database, uh, a log database um, that was explained in this book. Uh, and I tried to, to do it in Elixir. And it was so easy to do in Elixir uh, that a key value store uh, based on logs, uh, right ahead logs, something simple, but it's actually one of the first articles so uh, it's a great read uh, and also it deals uh, he deals also with them um, he explains the uh, distributed uh, um, uh, databases uh, all the issues uh, how they also deal with the different issues so great great and uh, the last thing is uh, so I follow you uh, guys uh, on the on the on the movie side uh, is something I uh, watched uh, recently. It's called Dark uh, and uh, is a time traveling. It's, I think if, if I remember correctly, is a, uh, is a, uh, based in, um, is, is in Deutschland, I think is, uh, and uh, it, it's a, great uh, TV series uh, about time traveling uh, and uh, consequences of time traveling. And I'm uh, really passionate about this topic. Uh, <laughs> and it's a great, it's, yeah, it was a <laughs> great watch. Well, cool. All right. So I give a plus one to the uh, Sasha Yurik's article outside Elixir. That is, that was, when I was getting into ports, that was like super helpful for me as well. So awesome. Good stuff there. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Alvisa. I had a great time talking with you about this. And uh, thanks a lot, guys, for having me. All right. Glad you could come on. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.